This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the joyful coach, Sophie Cliff, who is coming to us all the way from Leeds, England, the UK. How cool is technology? She has just come out with these wonderful sprinkles of joy cards. I don't know if you can see these here. They're just lovely. And they're so life-affirming and they just make you feel happy. So before we meet her, let me tell you a little bit more about Sophie Cliff. Sophie, aka The Joyful Coach, is a positive psychology practitioner, qualified coach, and best-selling author of Choose Joy. Sophie holds a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. She hosts the chart-topping podcast, Practical Positivity, and has over 500 hours of coaching experience. She's had the pleasure of working with organizations such as Freddie's Flowers, Wild and Method, to help them bring joy back into the workplace. And her expertise is regularly cited in the national press in the UK. Prior to building her coaching and psychology practice, Sophie spent a decade climbing the corporate career ladder working in sales and marketing at global organizations such as the Walt Disney Company and Hallmark Cards. Wow. And developing high-performing teams at smaller tech startups. Sophie lives in Leeds, UK with her husband, Sam, and their cat, Lola. She is a proud volunteer, a voracious bookworm, and an avid adventure seeker. Sophie finds joy by hanging out with her nieces and nephews, cooking up a storm, and getting out into nature. Sophie Cliff, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. You know, Sophie, I relate to so much of what you write about and what you talk about. I also host this weekly podcast and have been doing it for five years. So we're both having a five-year anniversary. I also write a magazine. I'm a life coach. And I think I also came to bliss because of a trauma and a disappointment in my life as a young child. And I know that you also had a traumatic bereavement in your life. And I know someone who is going through tremendous grief right now. And I found it fascinating when you talked about how you bought every book on the subject of grief and self-help guides, and you listened to hours and hours of grief podcasts. And what I'm wondering is, how did this bereavement that you had lead you to live your life in the pursuit of joy and happiness, and not only squeezing as much joy as possible out of life, but being able to bring it to others as well? Yeah. So yeah, I think people are often quite surprised when I tell them that it was a traumatic bereavement that brought me to this work, because you don't often think that grief and joy go hand in hand. And often when you're in the midst of it, it doesn't because, you know, you can't really see past that that immediate pain and the processing and the healing that you have to do. But for me, what that experience really taught me, so it was my young cousin who um, sadly passed away and she was only four years old. And for me, there was a bit of a like wake up call of, you know, you see these things on Instagram or Pinterest all the time where you read 
life is short and you only live once. And we scroll past these things every day and you double tap and you give it the like. But I don't think I really believed that those phrases or those sentences, or I didn't really feel the weight of them until I had that experience of seeing just how short life can be. And suddenly life went from something that sort of had to be perfect. And I think beforehand, I sort of saw it as like a game to be played, you know, collect the achievements, a bit like a Monopoly Mm -hmm. board, you know, collect 200 pounds and you pass go, keep collecting the achievements, see how much you can do. It went from being a bit of a game to something that felt really, really precious and really, really important. And joy felt not even just like something that was important, but something that felt like a way of respecting my young cousin who passed away. She wasn't here to experience life, to squeeze joy out of it. And so it almost felt disrespectful for me not to do that with my own life. And at the time of that bereavement, I was in a place where I had a great job. I, you know, had a a lovely home. We were traveling a lot from the outside, you know, from looking at LinkedIn or looking on Instagram, it would have looked like everything was perfect, but it felt very shallow. It felt very surface level. It, like I say, it, it felt like a going through the motions, collecting the milestones rather than feeling purposeful or joyful. I always yes. felt like something was missing. And that experience was really what set me off on the journey of thinking there has got to be something more. And I think tied with that was this idea that joy was something that helped me to navigate that experience at a time when we were really trying to come to terms with something, you know, very sad and very awful, things like, you know, personal development or feeling really happy or stretching myself or all of these things that I love to do now, you know, in my life, they didn't feel accessible to me. It didn't feel accessible Mm -hmm. to feel happy every day. It didn't feel accessible to get out of my comfort zone. I was already way out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I, I couldn't think about living in the way that I, I previously had. But what I could do was find tiny little glimmers of joy every day. So it wasn't about being happy 24-7, but it was about thinking I can sit and enjoy this hot cup of tea or I can feel really thankful for the friend who sent a text checking in or I can you know, tune into the sound of my niece giggling and that can bring me a few seconds of light relief. And it was those little tiny slithers of joy you know some days it might only be 10 seconds but it was that that sort of helped me to build that sense of resilience and sort of rebuild from that experience I suppose and that really got me hooked on this whole idea of joy and also sent me down the rabbit hole of positive psychology of if these teeny tiny drops of joy could help me to bounce back and recover from such a such a tough time, then what yes. could that do if we're finding and prioritizing those little glimmers of joy when everything is good? You know, how much better can things get mm-hmm. when we pursue joy? Do you feel that every time one of these things that you're pursuing, whether it's gratitude or enjoying that lovely cup of tea first thing in the morning or or at night, that it's honoring Blossom. It's honoring your beloved niece and keeping her in in your thoughts and prayers and absolutely absolutely and I think you know I've lost other family members since then grandparents and you know and other people and I think it's for anyone who isn't here or who can't live in the way that they want to live it's such a privilege to be able to you know mm-hmm. live and to get up and be healthy every day I think we forget that that is such a, a privilege because you know life becomes monotonous and we do sometimes forget 
just how lucky we are. And I think taking those moments, you know, reshaping things like the way I I live now, the work that I'm able to do, the time I'm able to spend with my family, Hmm. that all feels like such an honor. And and it is all because of of Blossom. You know, I wouldn't have made those changes if it wasn't for her. So it absolutely feels like a sense of connection with her. And that's why when I wrote my book last year, it was dedicated to her because, you know, she has made just such a profound impact on my life, even in her four short years. What a beautiful way to honor her because, you know, a lot of people go the other way and they just curl up in a ball on a couch and just can't cope and, and go on. And you, you've taken this beautiful memory of this beloved child and you're bringing joy to other people. You're utilizing her memory in such a beautiful way, letting her memory be a blessing and not, you know, the tragedy that of course it still is, but you're finding the beauty in her life, which is amazing. Like what a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing. I want to get to your beautiful book, Sprinkles of Joy, Self-Care Cards, 50 Simple Ways to Squeeze More Magic Out of Your Everyday Life in a Moment. But I also want to talk about your podcast, Practical Positivity, which is just wonderful. I thought I would just listen to one and then it led to another, another, and another, the episodes. What I loved about it was the wonderful way you talk about just things like doing a gratitude list for a month and really looking at what's working, what's going well. We're always looking at what's not working, but looking at what is working. And it can't be said enough how gratitude immediately puts you in a happier state of mind. Can you say more just about the gratitude piece? Because it's something we all know it, but somehow the way you phrased it about, think about a month full of all the things that made you feel grateful in the past month, just lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of research, um, scientific research in the field of positive psychology that shows gratitude is one of the greatest predictors of joy. So the most joyful people also tend to be the most grateful people. And I think sometimes we think, well, of course, these people are joyful. They've got all this great stuff in their life, but they have this great stuff in their life and they feel that sense of joy because they're appreciating it because they aren't taking it for granted. And what I love about gratitude is well, a few things, and, and I could spend the whole hour talking about this. I would try not to. Um, first of all, it, it makes you feel very, very present. So when you think about what you're grateful for, we're not spending time in this, I want, I wish, one day I'll have, I'll be mm. happy when. We're also mm. not thinking, I used to have this, or this used to you know, be how I spent my time. We're not, yes. we, we don't realize how much time we spend in the past or in the future. And when we think about what we're grateful for, we're really anchored to the present moment. We come back and we're in it and we can appreciate it here and now. Mm -hmm. And I think the other brilliant benefit connected to that is it can break us out of those comparison cycles. You know, we hear that Mm -hmm. phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. And we think that comparing ourselves will help us to identify what's going to make us happy. We think, you know, that person's on vacation. They look to be having a great time. Maybe Mm. if I book a vacation, I'll feel happy. Or that person has this type of job. Maybe that's what I need to be happy. And yet all it does is it takes us away from what we already have. And what I love about gratitude is it anchors us back in. It allows us to come back to the present moment and think, yes, like I've got a house, I've got my health, I've got a job that I enjoy, or I've got a job that pays my bills, or I get outside and enjoy some fresh air. And like you said, there is so much stuff that we just take for granted that is actually Mm -hmm. a real real privilege and it's that sense of 
you know, when you get cold or you get like you feel unwell for the first time in the winter and you think, mm-hmm. why did I take for granted that I felt so healthy? Why did I, think <laughs> I could breathe, you know, without a stuffy nose or I could sleep well. Right, right. It's only when something is taken away, usually that we appreciate it. And we appreciate it. allows us to do it in the moment. You could even say at that moment also, it feels so good to cuddle in bed right now with a great book and a cup of tea and that I have a roof over my head to do this while I have the cold. But there's always a way to find that gratitude. And you're so right. It's it's a great pathway to happiness. Absolutely true. Can you tell us more about the podcast? Again, so much symmetry here. We just started our season five this September. You've been doing this for five years. You've covered multifarious topics. And I love how engaging you are and how you just talk in a way that really reaches the listener. And one of the podcasts I loved was 10 Ways to Bring More Joy into Your Everyday Life. This is in your Practical Positivity podcast. And I want to share some of your tips because they're so wonderful. And one is that you bring up the very important point that we can't be joyful 24 hours a day. So you need to find one small moment to savor. Can you give us an example? Yeah, so... I think this is one of those misconceptions that people think, oh, I'm not doing it right because I don't feel joyful all of the time. And it's like light and dark. We appreciate the morning because we have the the nighttime. And I think it's about savoring when things are good, not letting those things pass. We're really good at focusing on the negative, really good at thinking about what could go wrong, thinking about what we could do better. We're not so good at just tuning in and being present for what is already good. And so, like I said earlier, this might be noticing that it's a beautiful sunny day or savoring the day by choosing your favorite outfit or lighting the candle that you've been saving for best. Or, you know, I can see those beautiful flowers behind you, you know, buying yourself some flowers when you go to do the shopping. Those little tiny things, it might seem so small, but it's enough to tip you and it's enough to top you up and bring some joy that helps us to manage the down bits, helps us to build the resilience we need to get through the rest of the day. Thank you for noticing the flowers. I have to tell you that my dream is to be Eliza Doolittle and have a little flower market in Covent Garden. Truly. (laughs) I know that's honestly. Another wonderful tip is when you suggest, and I love that you say this, change the phrase, I have to, to, I get to. Can you elaborate on that? That's so powerful. Yeah. So, so often how we frame things can change our experience of them. And this is something I really learned through that, that grief process. You know, you said earlier on, it would be easy to say like, well, this has happened. I have to give up now. I have to curl up in a ball and that's what I have to do. And instead, what my family and I have chosen to do is say, I get to make a meaningful experience of this. I get to do something different. And we can do that on a smaller scale every single day. So mm-hmm. I have a six month old daughter and at the moment wow. I'm up in the night, you know, to, to manage those night <laughs> needs. And when I first hear her crying, it's like, oh, I have to get up and I have to feed her and I bring her, you know, close to me to feed her. It's like, I get to do this. How lucky am I that I get to Absolutely. spend this time with her and, you know, that I get to be her parent in the first place. And when we (laughs) think about, I get to, we see that fortune in these things. We see what's great. We see the things that we can be grateful for. Um, And I think, you know, I have to go to the gym. Well, I get to go to the gym. There are so many people who wish they were healthy enough to be able to move their bodies or, you know, or to have access to a certain gym class or, you know, so often just changing that phrase can 
change the perspective. It can help us to find the joy in some of the stuff that on first glance might not appear so positive. Yes. So lovely. I have to tell you, it only gets better because my daughter's 23, (laughs) love of my life. And it's funny when she used to wake up in the night, she would come in our bed and I would all, you know, I think a lot of parents would say, go back to your bed, but I'd be like, hi, great to see you, Lily. (laughs) I never made her feel badly because I knew it wouldn't last forever. And it was always a good thing. (laughs) This book is about being present for it, isn't it? Absolutely. Sometimes we're in a funk though, and we're stuck and we think there's no way out. And the phrase, this too shall pass, helps you be more mindful and present. And I love that. Yeah. We know the phrase, but we forget to say it when we're in that funk. How do we remind ourselves and why is that such an important thing to say? Yeah, I think that phrase is important whether we're having a great time or whether we're having a hard time, because it's also important to remember that the good times pass and change. You know, it's not that the good times don't come again, but that specific season of life isn't permanent. And I think when we remember that, it does two things. It again, helps us to be more present. It helps us to be grateful for that moment, you know, to think this is a hard season, but it's going to pass, gives us hope. But to think this is a great season and it's going to pass reminds us to appreciate it, reminds us not to wish it away, not to rush through it. And I think we all have so much evidence in our lives of hard times that we've weathered, of challenges that we've overcome And yet we seem to forget, we see when we're in the moment, we seem to think this is going to be the one, this is going to be the thing that breaks me, this is going to be the thing that's difficult. And reminding ourselves that it's going to pass, it can give us that resilience and it can give us that hope to imagine something better if we are in a, a tricky situation. So, you know, thinking like this isn't going to be the way forever, it A, allows us to come back to some of the positives. So again, using that example of you know, this too shall pass this season where I'm waking in the night to feed my daughter will pass. <laughs> yes. And that is both exciting because I can't wait to sleep through the night again. And it's also really hard because I think this is a beautiful season of life where we get to spend this time together. And I think absolutely it's being present for all of those things. Sometimes we're so quick to want to rush through things that we forget that every season is fleeting and there is always something else around the corner. And again, that is both exciting but it's also a reminder to be present for the here and now. I noticed that about your podcast is they're all very related to the seasons, to winter, spring, summer, and fall, and the time of day and the season. So I think you're you're very sensitive to seasons. And I found that interesting just looking through your, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, but there's a real through line of the seasons. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think part of that is living in England because we have very defined seasons. You know, um, <laughs> yes. we, we really do move through those seasons. But I think there's something about connecting to that natural cycle around us. Again, I think it helps us to be more present. If you are mm-hmm. really taking the time to notice what the tree at the end of your road is doing, you can't blink and miss it, you know. And I think that's what those seasonal changes gives us is an opportunity to pause, you know, a whole year is a long time to set goals for a whole year is a long time to try and change things if we can break that down into smaller chunks and we can take note from the seasons around us you know I find autumn to be quite a productive season it's a time when I feel energized you've had a bit of a rest from the summer whereas winter might feel more like a time to be compassionate to ourselves time to practice something else and I think when we can take those notes from nature, again, it helps us to be in the the time, you know, of our lives at, at this time. But it also gives us 
nature's really clever. It gives us the right notes. It gives us the right things we need at the right time. You're so right. It's such a good reminder. Are you a meditator or a yoga person? I loved yoga before having my daughter. I will admit I haven't done it as much in the last six months. Meditation, I struggle with in terms of that being still, but I do like to do, I always say I'm more mindful than meditative. So I really like anything that can bring me back to that present moment. But for me, it's often more in action. So it's in doing things that I find that sense of mindfulness. One of my favorite suggestions of yours is to get outdoors, even if it's just for 15 minutes a day to go outside for a walk, which is an instant mood booster. What is it about getting outside that the research tells us promotes so much joy and happiness and just feeling alive? Like it just gives you that, that change of pace and you know, I don't know what it is. It's just, it just gives you that mood booster. Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Joyful Coach Sophie Cliff when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We're back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And just before the break, I was asking you, Sophie, about how research tells us that getting outside is an instant mood booster. Can you say more? So there are a few things here that the research tells us. So one is that spending time in green or blue spaces. So you know, green being the park, fields, countryside, blue being anywhere where there is water is really great for our well-being. And that's thought to just be something that is biological, is connected to you know, how we are as humans. It's something that we have a need for as humans. The other thing that's great about getting outside is often it's when we're out getting outside that we meet other people. We're connected with other people. We're in community. So I think about today, I went for a walk with my daughter. I bumped into the neighbor and said, hello. And then we you know, went for a little walk and we popped in somewhere to get a coffee. And I had a little chat with the barista. And there's lots of research that shows even those small micro interactions can really boost our sense of joy and well-being yes. because we are a connected species. We need to feel connected and we need to feel safe within our community to experience that well-being. So it gives us that, you know, there's the sort of natural aspect of the blue and green spaces, there's the connection. And I think so often there is just that different sense of perspective. Mm -hmm. I know that personally for me, I could be having a really hard day and I can get out for 10 minutes in the fresh air and you see different things and you get the fresh air and you come back and the perspective has just changed. And I think it's just that break in the cycle sometimes that we need to just refresh us. 
The way you say it is so fantastic. How, what made you so wise? I know you're only in your 30s. You're a young girl, young woman. And you really, you're really so wise about the way you put it. But it's so true. Like after this interview, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm telling this to my producer who thinks I'm going to be filming something right after this. <laughs> I am, but I need a 10-minute walk first. And uh, <laughs> Sophie has convinced me. Cultivating connections. You just talked about that. Brilliant. Another tip, especially when you work alone or at home, and a lot of us are living in a more virtual world. So how important is it? You just sort of mentioned it. Connect with the barista. Connect with someone. Can you do the same thing online or do you really need to get out and have that human connection? I think, you know, that human connection is always going to be the number one. That's the creme de la creme. But what we learned Mm -hmm. through the lockdowns is that we can find that connection in other ways. You know, when we couldn't leave our homes, we were still able to foster that connection. And I think the biggest tip is if it is online and if we are, you know, isolated in our homes is that it has to have some sort of meaning. So it's connection Mm -hmm. for a meaning rather than connection for just the sake of saying hi. And so something that um, I really enjoyed during lockdowns was that me and my friends started a virtual book club. So rather than just, you know, going onto FaceTime and everyone sort of talking at each other and it feeling a bit like, oh, we have to say something, you know, just to to keep in touch. It was much more, there was like a sense of meaning to it. We had read the book. We were coming together to connect over that book. We were asking each other thoughtful questions. We were uncovering new things about each other. And I think that's where it's important. You know, those micro connections in our community are important because they make us feel safe within the community we live in. They make us feel connected. They make us feel like if something was to happen, we have people around us, you know, physically um, in yes. our in our location. But in terms of deepening those connections, trying to find the meaning around it is is a really great way to make sure those virtual connections still count. So, you know, connecting over work, connecting over a project, connecting over a book, yes. connecting, you know, I did um, my master's during the lockdown and that was all done completely virtually wow. because of, wow. um, you know, because of COVID. And it still felt like a really connecting experience because I was learning new things with new people and we were having these really enlightening conversations. And I think bringing that sense of meaning to it is the way that, you know, we, we still feel connected. And the same is true with social media. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, it's all bad. We shouldn't use it. It's all false connection. It's all this dopamine rush. But actually you can have some really brilliant conversations with people you can learn new things you can foster connection absolutely so long as it there's meaning there you know it's not just a, a surface level thing so long as we can connect on things that are important to us we can still foster that same sense of connection what was one of your favorite books that you read in the book club oh gosh that's a great question we read loads Do you know my favorite one was called Rodham um, by a lady called Curtis Sittenfeld. And it was about what would have happened if Hillary had never married Bill. So it was um, oh, sort of like, wow. like, like an alternate reality might have been. And it was just really juicy and got you thinking. And we had loads of great conversations about it. <laughs> that sounds so good. That's we're gonna We're going to look into that one. That's amazing. We often also focus so much on our weaknesses, not on our strengths. How important is it to use our strengths to find them just to feel more positive? Can you give us an, an example of how that works? Is find that one positive thing and build that up instead of focusing on the, on the weaknesses. Absolutely. So 
in a lot of the work that I do with organizations, the strategy that people often take, and it was the same when I was building my corporate career, is you focus on what isn't working and you think about how that can get better. What we don't do enough is look at what's already good and how we can maximize that. And there's loads of research that shows we can yield much better results from focusing on our strengths than we can from trying to plug our weaknesses. And to me, this makes total sense because when we are in that zone of genius, when we are really you know, feeling good, when we are using the things that feel natural to us, we can add more value. We can feel more energized. We can show up with, we can do more with the energy that we've got. You know, when you are doing something that you really love, it feels easeful. It feels joyful. You could do it all day. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if someone gave me, said to me, like, you've got to sit down and do your, your bookkeeping for the rest of the day, <laughs> I wouldn't get half as much done as if I was of course. doing a workshop or writing or doing something. And yeah, I think we often forget that because our workplaces particularly are set up to focus on our weaknesses and how we can plug them. And also we we do it to ourselves, right? We look in the mirror and we think, what can I change? What can I improve? You know, (laughs) how can I get my hair to be more shiny or how can I lose (laughs) that last 10 pounds? We don't ever think what is already really great. How can we highlight the stuff that is brilliant? And the research shows it's one of the the best ways to boost our well-being is to actually look at what those strengths are. And once we know what they are, um, there's a really great positive psychology intervention that encourages people to just put their strengths into action more. So just say for a week, okay, I've got a, a strength that is love of learning. How can I put that into action this week? What can I learn? What can I challenge myself with? You might say, I'm going to listen to a different type of podcast or Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and have another go at that crochet kit that I threw in the cupboard (laughs) once I realized I'm going to try and, um, you know, learn a bit of a new language on Duolingo or whatever it might be. You can put that into action a little bit more for a week and then just notice how does it feel to, instead of trying to improve something that, you know, you don't care about as much or that doesn't feel as natural to you, how does it feel to put that energy into doing something that feels really natural and feels like a strength? Mm. Most people report that it makes them feel really great. It gives them a better sense of optimism. It helps them see the changes, the positive changes they can make in their life. And it feels really invigorating. So yeah, a really nice way to find a little bit more joy. That's so great. So I know you've mentioned positive psychology a lot. So for our listeners who don't know what that is, that's Martin Seligman. Um, mm-hmm. It's a movement. Tell me if this is, I think what it is, which is, let's say you went to a regular psychologist or therapist, you're going to talk about everything that's wrong. What is wrong? How can I make this better? What is wrong in my workplace? What is wrong in my personal life, in my marriage, in all this? In positive psychology, you're going to say, what is working well in my workplace? What can I build on? What is working well in my life right now? What's great about my marriage? Is that essentially what it is? What would you add to what you learned about in your schooling about positive psychology? Yeah, that was a really great summary. And that's actually always my first question with any coaching clients is what is already working? What's good? Like what, what have we already yes. got there? And yes. the way I like to describe positive psychology is that until positive psychology came along in the year 2000 um, until Martin Seligman had the, the brainwave to create it. Psychology, like you say, looked at how we could fix people, how we could take people from a minus 10 to a zero. So mm-hmm. it specifically looked at specific mental health diagnoses, specific things that were wrong, things that needed to be fixed so that we could get mm-hmm. people back to a neutral point. And that, of course, is yes. really, really important work that we need to do. 
But what nobody was doing was looking at how we could take people from a zero to a plus 10. And that to me is crazy because we have done that with our physical health for as long as we can remember. You know, we all do things every single day for our physical health to think about how we can go from a zero to a plus 10. We work out, we take vitamins, we eat vegetables, we sleep, we wear, you know, (laughs) we try try to sleep. We don't always sleep. We do all the things that are about boosting our health. And there's such a huge culture of, you know, promoting good health. We know the things that are going to help us go from a zero to a plus 10 with our physical health. And yet with our mental health up until, like I say, the year 2000, Nobody was doing that. Nobody was looking at how can we, you know, we don't want to just sit in this space of zero. We want to be as as great. We want to feel as good as we possibly can. And mm-hmm. that's what positive psychology does. It, it studies the people who identify as a nine or a 10 on that scale. It, yes. it looks at what they are doing. It looks at the habits that they have, the behaviors that they have. And we then test and learn whether repeating those behaviors in the general population can help to boost that sense of joy or well-being or happiness or whatever it is that we are trying to get to in terms of that scale. So my lecturer at at university used to say it's almost like the science of making things better. It's the science of, you know, flourishing, of of well-being. And it's all, you know, it's just as rigorous. It's just as empirical as psychology as a whole, but it's just got that specific focus. That's so great. I, I love that. Beautifully put. You also talk about instant mood boosters that you should have at your fingertips, such as your favorite playlist that you could make or really funny videos. I always think of I Love Lucy, Lucille Ball videos or your favorite photos. And you can go to these things to give yourself a burst of energy. What are some other active things that you can do to boost your mood for our listeners? Right now, we're saying, what are some instant feeling good joy boosters? Before we hear about some instant mood boosters, we're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Sophie Cliff when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And just before the break, I was asking the joyful coach, Sophie Cliff, all about what we can do to instantly boost our mood. Yeah. So things like taking in that deep breath, getting some fresh air, taking that moment, trying to be present and just noticing where you are. I always think a great tip to bring us back to the present moment is working through our five senses. So what can you see? What can you hear? What can you smell? What can you taste? What can you touch? that brings us into the here and now. And it takes us out of that headspace of worrying about the next thing. Music, like you said, you know, creating a playlist is is a great one. If you can have a playlist of your songs that just make you feel good, take you back to a happy place, that can really boost you. I have also on the photos section on my phone, I have a folder that's just photos of happy memories, you know, 
my wedding nice. day, days out with my nieces and nephew, um, time, you know, a beautiful sunset. And if you're having a bit of a slow day, if you're struggling for that energy, looking at those pictures reminds us like, this is what it's all about. It gives us that sense of perspective. Nature again is a really important one. And again, to nod to your beautiful flowers behind you, bringing some of that nature in can be a yes. real mood booster, bringing that nature indoors can can yes. really help so just really it I think so often we think with joy or with our mood or with happiness we have to make these huge big changes we have to quit our jobs or move to a different country or book a really fancy holiday or you know buy a certain handbag we think we're, we're told mm-hmm. and we are sold by the the machine that these are the things that we need and yeah. actually there are so many little things that we can do day to day and the, the way I like to think about these mood boosters is it's tipping over the first positive domino. I remember before my experience, I used to think, what's the point in like taking my lunch hour or what's the point in listening to the positive music or what's the point in getting outside? It's not going to change my life. But what it does do is it, it starts a bit of positive momentum. When you, you know, you wake up and there are beautiful flowers, you go out into yes. the world and you feel a little bit happier. Or when you take yes. that moment to look at those pictures that bring back happy memories, you then feel more fired up to take some action that's going to create more of those happy memories. So mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, each day we can, we start our day by tipping over a domino and we can either set off a negative spiral or we can set off a positive spiral. A positive and the more that we can do to choose that positive first domino, the, the better. It's so, it's so brilliant. And thank you for all that. I love how you talk about constantly learning. Learning is so important. Listening to podcasts, reading a book, taking a course. How does doing some of these things help promote more joy in your life? It's just expanding and learning. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite like roots to joy. I am definitely a lifelong learner. And I think we often think school is done when we leave and that that's <laughs> yes. it. But there are there's loads of research that shows lifelong learning and creativity is really important for our joy. And there are a few reasons why. One, there's the satisfaction of going outside of our comfort zone and conquering a bit of new land. You know, being able to think, trying a recipe that you've never tried before and then yes. knowing you've got that in your repertoire or being able to learn a new skill, it, it really boosts our confidence, boosts our self-esteem. The other yes. thing is that the concept of flow, which I'm sure lots of your listeners and viewers will have heard of, this idea of being in a state of flow, it's really great for our well-being. Part of the, the two things that help us to access a state of flow are something that we enjoy, but also something that we feel challenged by. So yes. if something is easy, if something if it's something that we've already mastered, we can't enter that state of flow. And so mm-hmm. learning helps us to get to that state of flow putting ourselves outside of our comfort zone, trying something new. So long as it's something that we've got some sense of pleasure and enjoyment in, we're going to enter that state of flow. And so even things like going to, I'm I'm thinking a couple of years ago, I went for a paddle boarding lesson and I wasn't very good at it at all. You know, I kept falling off and I had all sorts of bruises from not being able to get my balance. But there was that sense of it was really fun. It was enjoyable. It was out on the water And it was hard. It was difficult. I was learning something new. And I remember that hour passed by so quickly because I was in a state of flow. And that's what we're searching for when we are learning something new is being in that space where time sort of tends to disappear. We're so absorbed. We're so present that we are just enjoying it. 
It's so true. So I talk about with bliss and enlightenment, how when you're doing that activity that so engrosses and absorbs you that five hours will pass by and you don't even realize the time. Like it's noon when you start and suddenly it's dark outside. And like, what just happened? Because you're so enjoying it. But you're right when it's something that challenges you. So you've convinced me that I'm going to tackle that beef bourguignon recipe of oh. Julia Child. <laughs> that scares me, but I've always wanted to make it because <laughs> I think that will that will bring a state of flow and, and hopefully a delicious dish as well mm-hmm. that people can enjoy. I love that you call yourself a joyful coach. How wonderful. And you really are. You see that in the way you present yourself. Can you tell us more about your approach to helping people and how you would characterize your special brand of coaching? Yeah, so I love this question because I think there are as many different types of coaching and as many different routes to coaching as there are coaches. And yes. to me, like I say, it's really about, there are really two important things to to my brand of coaching, I suppose. One is that positive psychology angle. So it's what is going well, what can we improve on, what are our strengths? It's never about what can we let go of? What do we want to change? What do we want to beat ourselves up for? That's That's just, you know, I think that can, that type of coaching can have a place for some people, but it's not, not where my heart is. My heart is in helping people see what they're already doing brilliantly and helping them to use those strengths to, to make positive changes Mm. in their life. The other really important thing to me is empowering people and giving people permission to find that joy because it was not something that I ever prioritized, you know, prior to, to my traumatic bereavement. It was always something that was a crumb, you know, it was there left mm-hmm. over if I got through the rest yes. of the to-do list. And yes, what I am so passionate about is I had to go through something really awful to get to the point where I felt like I could put joy front and center in my life. And when I did start putting joy front and center in my life, everything changed for the better. You know, mm-hmm. I retrained, I started a new career, I have happy relationships, I'm healthier. I, you know, everything I care about got better as a result mm-hmm. of prioritizing that joy. And I am just so passionate about empowering people and particularly women, because I think it's so often us that put that joy on the back burner. And so a big part of my work is A, helping people understand what would bring them joy because it's not something we're taught to pursue it's not something that we're taught to you know figure out in school and then helping them to see that they don't need anybody's permission to put that front and center it's not something they have to earn it's not something that they have to you know seek permission for it's their birthright and it's all of our birthright and that I suppose is really that's what drives everything I do is reminding people that we're not getting this day back let's make it a good one Let's make it a good one. I love um, working as a coach with the wheel of life. And I saw you have something a little bit different. So I have the traditional wheel of life that I utilize with my clients, but you have something called a joy wheel. And not only do you also have seven or eight wedges on the wheel, but you also, I love this, have a blank wheel for people to add their own categories to. And I thought that was so creative and smart. I thought it was just smashing that you do that. So why do you do that? And what are some of the things that people come up with? Yeah. So yeah, the joy wheel, it's the the same premise as that wheel of life. It's looking at how we are feeling, but specifically asking ourselves the question of like, how do each of those areas of life, how joyful do each of those areas feel to us? So not Mm -hmm. how successful are they or, you know, how praised by other people are they, but how joyful do they feel to us? And yeah, you know, when I work with clients, I always say to them, I can give you this, this, joy wheel that has got the spokes labeled Mm -hmm. and I can tell you what the important areas Mm -hmm. are but what is way more powerful is for you to define what those areas are and I think 
it's so important because, you know, so for me, travel is a really important thing that brings me a lot of joy. To somebody else, that might not be important at all. What might be really important to them is their health or, you know, they might have a specific hobby that they pour a lot of energy into. And that's so important to them that that takes up a whole, you know, one of those eight segments on the wheel or they might know that there's an area of life that they haven't been pouring any energy into, but that it's really important to them to do so if they're going to feel joyful. And so I think that's why it's really important to look at, you know, no one person is going to have the same definition of joy. What brings me joy might be different to what brings you joy might be different to whoever is listening. And when we try to sort of get prescriptive and say like, here's, here's what you need to feel joyful. That's where we, that's where we sort of fail at the first hurdle because we are, there is no one size fits all that the way the route to joy and the route to happiness, I believe is in figuring out what that looks like for us and giving ourselves permission to pursue that. And so that's why I look at that and people come up with all sorts of creative things. You know, it might be volunteering. It might be like, I remember working with one client and she kept horses and for her, horse riding and looking after her horses was like a whole wheel on the segment wheel a whole wedge in itself yeah it's so funny wheel yeah because she spent two hours a day down at the stables and to me I would be like (laughs) I would never come anywhere close to my wheel (laughs) it was important to her it's so funny you say that because I remember a client once saying to me that the smell in the barn which to me would not be something I would go to for joy either. But for her, that was bliss. Yeah. Smelling the hay, smelling all of the smells that you would smell in a barn brought mm-hmm. her great bliss and happiness. So it's so interesting. And it's such a great idea is make it work for you. Make it individualized. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Let's get into your wonderful Sprinkles of Joy card deck. And I'm just looking at it right here. 50 simple ways to squeeze more magic out of your everyday life. And you say that true joy isn't sparked from those big moments, but from the tiny habits we nurture every day. And this card deck offers some very simple and meaningful activities that people can do to complete each day to build a more joyful mindset. And I just, I love your brainchild. What inspired you to create Sprinkles of Joy? Because you've done many things in this field of happiness, but what made you ultimately decide to create this wonderful card deck of 50 cards? Yeah, something that has always been really important to me in my work, whether it's on my podcast, whether it's the work that I do with organizations, the work I do with clients is making this stuff practical. I am so passionate that, you know, when I studied my master's, there are thousands of articles in academic journals about well-being, about positivity, about joy. And it all sits behind these like paywalls or in (laughs) skilled libraries, or it's written in a way that people think, I'm not going to read that. That just sounds so boring. And I'm so passionate about bringing that stuff out and helping people to put it into practice because it doesn't matter how much we know if we're not actually helping people use it and access it. And I think one of the biggest barriers that I see with my coaching clients, and I don't know if this will be true for you as well, is that sometimes it just seems overwhelming to start. It feels like I want to make a change. I'm stuck in a rut, but I haven't got the time or the energy or the the space to be able to make this huge big life pivot or to start something brand new. And we might have tried to create different habits in the past and failed. And we might have a bit of a, you know, a confidence block to making some of those changes. And really the idea and the meaning behind creating the card deck for me was about 
giving people just those tiny little things that they can start to do, giving people those first positive dominoes, like I spoke about earlier on. You don't have to start on Monday and be perfect and have this perfect routine and do everything every single day. You can just say, I'm having a bit of a tough day today, or I'm feeling a bit low, or I need a bit of a pick me up. You can shuffle the deck, you can pick a card and you can take that action. And it's, it's really, you know, it's simple. The things are all very actionable. There's nothing on there that you couldn't sort of pick and and put into action straight away. And it's just those little things that can then turn that, that mood around, turn a bad day into a more positive one and give people the strategy without having to have hours or weeks of thinking ahead of time. Yes. Well, I have to, I have to tell the listeners, they're so wonderful. I, I chose a couple that I really love. And I, and I realize every day, you know, you almost have to have it on your bedside, nightside table and, and just pick a different one every day. Cause on a Wednesday, something might resonate even more than the day before it. Every day is different, but this one just resonated so much for me. Write a list of the three people you feel most connected to in your life. What is one action you can take this week to show each of them a bit more love? Wow. I love that. Can you tell us more about about how making this effort to nurture these relationships can improve your well-being and their well-being? Yeah, so I know we spoke earlier on about that importance of connection and the research showing it's it's like the number one thing that that predicts our sense of joy and well-being is how connected we feel to others and yet we so often take those connections for granted don't we you know I know I'm guilty of it I sort of you know my husband comes home from work and I say you didn't do this thing and you didn't do that and then you know you think oh my best friend didn't text me back and it's it's very rare that we sort of stop and we just go how lucky am I to have these people and that's what that card was all about is just reminding us that these people mean so much to us and we we need to share that with them we need to show them and not only is that positive for us because it makes us feel more connected to that other person but it spreads a little bit of joy to someone else as well which again is proven to benefit our well-being there's so many and I can't get through all of them but I just have to share this one which is to identify three friends and loved ones you haven't connected with in the last three months then reach out to each of them with a funny meme or a happy memory or an email or a phone call like what a fantastic one or like you, because I read so many books, I adored one of the, the cards that said, write a positive review of your favorite book or podcast. Brilliant. Post it. Post it on Amazon. Post it on uh, what's your bookstore in, in the UK, your main bookstore, Barnes & Noble. or Yeah, Waterstones is our equivalent here. Yeah. Yes. And just see, I'm, I'm saying Barnes & Noble because we're Canadian. So we have, <laughs> we have chapters. But wherever your bookstore is, post it on their site, post it on Amazon. And, you know, people will appreciate this so much. And anyway, it goes on and on. Give two compliments today, one to yourself and one to someone else. There's so many. I'm not going to tell you anymore because I want you all to get this Sprinkles of Joy card deck. It's absolutely wonderful. And I just want to ask you, because I know we're getting to the end of our time and I have about I don't know, 20 more questions for you. So you'll have to come back on again. But if you could just impart one of your main tips on how to live a more joyful life, the greatest golden nugget that still speaks to you every day, what would it be? Yeah. So my favorite thing, and this is something I do every day, it's a really practical tool, is in the morning when I wake up, I ask myself, how am I feeling that day on a scale of one to 10? So you know, I might say, okay, it's six out of 10, feeling pretty good, 
room for improvement. And the second question is then, what can I do today to just boost that score by one point? We so Mm. often think we've got to aim for 10 out of 10 for it to make a difference. But if you are at a three out of 10 and you think calling my friend is going to get me to a four out of 10, that is worthwhile action. Or if you think I'm an eight out of 10, but treating myself to my favorite lunch is going to make it a nine out of Uh 10. That is, you know, is something that you are worthy of. And it sounds so small, but over time it compounds and it, it, it does a few things. It tells us that we are worthy of making that effort. We are worthy of asking ourselves what we need. It helps us to feel more connected to what we need because so often we're so busy rushing around, we don't even know what that looks like. But it also reminds us that big changes in how joyful we feel can come from those small, small actions. If we do something every day that is just about moving us up one point, we start to, to you know really build a belief that those little actions build towards joy. And they really do, you know, I know it anecdotally from my own experience. We know it from the research. I know it from working with clients, but sometimes we have to experience it in our own lives for us to believe that that's true. So that would be something I would leave people with is just to try and have that little dialogue with yourself. What's one thing I can do today to bump that score up, to find a little bit more joy and try and get in the habit of doing that? Lovely. We ask everyone a question at the end of this show. So of course, I'm going to ask you this question. What is bliss for Sophie Cliff? Oh, my bliss is definitely being with my people. So whether that's my husband, my sister, I, you know, just don't stop laughing when I'm with my sister, (laughs) my beautiful little baby daughter, that connection, that time, and being able to be present in that time with those people. That is my bliss. Love that. What is the best way, Sophie, for people to contact you, connect with you on social media and on your website, and of course, to purchase this wonderful Sprinkles of Joy card deck? Yeah, so I hang out most on Instagram. I am at Sophie Cliff there. And then if you head to my website, sophiecliff.com, you can find everything about working with me. And there is also a link there. Um, on the Sprinkles of Joy tab where people can find all the relevant links to pre-order, you know, based on where you are based in the world. Um, and it will be being released on the 26th of September. Oh, awesome. Awesome. We're going to promote that again and we'll have it all lined up so that that can happen. That's fantastic. I want to thank you so much, Sophie, for being here today. It really has been delightful to talk to you. I feel we could have talked for another hour easily. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It has been my pleasure. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you. Same here. Each week we spotlight a fabulous person like Sophie Cliff, who is living their bliss and in her case, helping other people to live their bliss. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or a musician, we would love to hear from you. If you're a singer, please reach out to us as well. We always love to feature singers on this show. Also, what did you love about today's program? Are there any guests or topics you'd like us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one meditation app that is free. And of course, you can always reach us as well on Instagram at The Bliss Minute and on Facebook, The Bliss Minute. I would love to thank our wonderful guest, Sophie Cliff, for being on the show today. Also, thanks to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanitsiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, 
audio producer, Baz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.